0: For those who came of age in the 1980s, you may have made a mixtape. Yeah, those carefully curated songs were recorded onto a cassette, you shared them with friends or maybe someone you had a crush on. But whether you were just putting together a playlist for personal enjoyment, you know, like a personal radio station, or really poured over songs, lyrics, and even cover art, to piece together a long-form musical expression of how you felt about someone, the mixtape was an essential thing for music fans. Well, in this episode, it's all about the mixtape, and my guest Michael Magali and I will delve into our personal mixes and talk about the songs and artists and maybe the stories we were trying to tell, or other unknowns that may become unknowns that we can know. To borrow some tortured language from Donald Rumsfeld. Remember him, Donald Rumsfeld? To social or not to social? That is the question. If you do, follow Planet LP at the usual places like Facebook. We're just Planet LP. Twitter and Instagram, the Planet LP is our handle. Or you can email me. I'm at ted at planetlp.com. Subscribe and follow on all the major podcasting platforms. We're there. I say almost all the major ones. I actually had to pull it from Amazon and Audible because they screwed up my RSS feed. This little technical uh, term for saying episodes were out of order and they only played like, I don't know, like one episode over and over again. Like you couldn't go to the new episode. So sorry, Amazon. Sorry, Audible. I had to say bye-bye to you. Okay, that's enough. Let's hit the rewind button so side A is all queued up as we delve into the mixtape with Michael Magali. The mixtape is an artifact that's meant different things to different people. Some of those things I covered in my introduction. But for me and my guest, Michael Magali, I think mixtapes were more about expressing our obsession with music in different ways. I was obsessed with flow and tempo, like what song crossfaded well into another, how many fast songs should you play before bringing the temperature down to a medium or slower groove. Eh, There were no hard and fast rules, just a refinement of taste and a way to get good about picking songs and taking the listener on a bit of a journey. And speaking of journeys, Michael Magali, you've traveled to Planet LP quite a lot last year. And so here you are again, and welcome back.
1: Ted, it is so great to be back with you. Beam me up. I want to be your co-pilot today (laughs) on Planet LP. Where the hell is John Young? Sleeping, I guess.
0: somewhere on the planet i don't know where <laughs> but uh, yeah we'll uh we'll probably have uh, john young michael mcgalli ted a reunion at some point
1: i hope so i hope so yeah. the, those were a lot of fun the last time we got together we talked about sadly the passing of charlie watts so this is a this is well that was kind of a celebration in a way but this yeah this my friend you remember this sound Yep. I I got cassette tapes in my hand. I found a stash of cassette tapes that took me back. And really, for me, it it was kind of a musical foundation. These, These were building blocks for me and kind of learning about, uh, at that time, really the classic AOR rock and roll
0: format. Mm -hmm. You shared some pictures of those tapes that you're (laughs) rattling about there with me. You texted them to me and I was like, wow, they're really well-ordered and everything. I looked at that wow, this is some graduate level stuff here because you really got them ordered in such a way. Yeah. Now you were talking about radio station, like AOR radio stations, and you went to UC Davis.
1: I did, I did. Go Aggies.
0: And that's outside of Sacramento, Mm -hmm. California. There's a radio station. It doesn't exist anymore. It does online, but it actually is a low power FM and online. But back then it was an AOR album oriented rock powerhouse called KZAP. Mm -hmm. And from what you told me, used to listen to a lot of K Zap in your dorm.
1: Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, you know, when I got to college, blank cassette tapes were like a, a commodity. You know, you, you meet new people, you share music with friends in your freshman dorm. And, you know, as you move along through college, you you, you get experienced, influenced by different things and turned mm-hmm. on to different artists and, and albums. And, you know, a lot of that was supplemented by KZAP, the great KZAP 98.5 in Sacramento. And back then, it was still just top-notch AOR format, Mm long-form versions of songs. And, I mean, it was really kind of this education for me. So, you know, I was learning on different fronts from friends who turned me on to artists that I, I, I knew a little bit of, but really digging deeper, like into the Allman Brothers or... Yes or the dead or the band or bands that I had kind of gained more interest in. but KZAP was was really cool. I mean, it had all of the the classic rock in its rotation, but it also had newer songs by artists at the time. It was kind of a, a nice mix because in the in the late 80s and early 90s, there was a lot of stuff that they, rotated into their playlists like you know Robert Plant had a new album at that time Now in Zen or U2's Rattle and Hum or Keith Richards had a solo album Talk is Cheat the Traveling Wilburys uh, Full Moon Fever in Excess Neil Young Rocking the Free World REM there was just all these different sounds and artists it was just a great time and KZAP was was just top-notch for me
0: And that's a format that doesn't really exist anymore. I mean, people will hear rock, and it's classic rock is being played now Mm -hmm. for the most part. Album-oriented rock was a different format. It was, as you describe, a mix of old and current music. Mm -hmm. Newer releases by, at the time, I would say bands that were up and coming or had just established themselves as a big name like a U2 or an REM, but yeah, yeah. you know, but, but in the eighties, those bands were, were just up and coming. Like you're looking at the early eighties. Yeah. There were, they were big college rock circuit bands, but then when they finally transitioned over to AOR, like on a K-Zap, it became less about hearing that same Led Zeppelin song over and over again, than it would be. We're going to play this deep cut from Zeppelin and this new band by, say, like U2 or something. Yeah. Or this current release by U2 or something from Keith Richards. So this was a mix of old and new, and it made for really exciting radio for people who wanted to discover new music. Like, I will go out and buy that record because it sounds great.
1: I will never forget. I was so excited listening to the radio, and the jock is telling me, and now here's new Robert Plant on KZAP yeah. and it went <laughs> yeah. into Tall Cool One, right? And, and then after yeah. that, there's maybe a you know double shot of Zeppelin or something. There, there were bands that were more up and coming at that time. Like I remember the Black Crows was definitely mm-hmm. a big one at that time with Shake Your Moneymaker. But I wrote a list. I went through these cassette tapes because I had nine that were listed radio music. And then I had five more that were listed KZAP is cool. And so they're just all these all these things I taped off of the radio. But th- this was the kind of stuff that w- that it was kind of my education. It was like yeah. Mississippi Queen by Mountain, or I'm Your Captain, Grand Funk, or Humble Pie, 30 Days in the Hole. Someone loaned me a dime, Boss Skags. That was a really good one. Uh, they would drop in Gary Moore, Still Got the Blues for You, or Magic Carpet Ride, Radar Love, Golden Earring, mm-hmm. Sweet Jane, Lou Reed, stuff like that, and then they would kind of you know mix things up as radio stations are wont to do. Ted,
0: most of those titles that you mentioned, yeah, they don't get played on classic rock now.
1: It's different.
0: Yeah, they will go for the most familiar sounding song. right but you're talking about a pretty deep cut oh, loss gag so good you know and, and the other ones and it's a long ass so, yeah. song
1: it's like <laughs> seven or eight minute song and they played it i mean a funeral for a friend and love lives bleeding in my hand on yeah, by elton, john. By elton yeah. john yellow brick road that's a long song no problem we're gonna play sure. that it's you know it's, <laughs> t- it's time to go take a cigarette break you know i'm just gonna leave that on and uh, here you go. I'll, I'll be back later. Did
0: that was you? the magic of AOR exactly, back then. Exactly. You could leave it on and you're like, what is this? This is great.
1: Yeah. And that's what I
0: loved about radio. I mean, we're both raised on radio. Yeah. so And we obviously work in the industry, or at least I did work in the industry. I just think that, that kind of magic of discovery is gone because a lot of the programming decisions, the ownership rules have changed to the point where radio stations are no longer so much about music discovery as sort of music reassurance. It's almost like this comfort area where you can come and experience something familiar, not too jarring, Mm. essentially being risk averse, right? Let someone else take the risk of breaking a new artist. We don't want to take that risk. But the problem is is that there's so few radio owners who have that philosophy, that programming philosophy of of being risk averse, that you don't have stations like a KZAP that can exist and thrive in this marketplace.
1: There was something really special about it and something that connected me further to, to KZAP. They had a contest it was called the perfect album side. You don't email in your perfect album side, Ted. You <laughs> write it down on a piece of paper. <laughs> you, you put it, it in an envelope, you put a stamp on it, and you send it to the old K app, which I think was over on Commerce Circle or something like that.
0: You mean you had to pay money?
1: I know. Like I know. A stamp? But a back stamp? then a stamp was like ten cents or whatever. Right, exactly. So so I, I decided to do a perfect album side of the Rolling Stones. And back then I, you know, I'm like Eighteen or nineteen years old, so I, I had I didn't have the collection I have now, but I had four or five albums. Okay. So I put together what I thought was a pretty sweet album side. It was kind of a Let It Bleed sandwich. So it started off with Gimme Shelter as the first song, and then it finished the the uh, fifth and sixth songs were Monkey Man and You Can't Always Get What You yeah. Want. So, uh, give me shelter uh, goes into jigsaw puzzle, which is a kind of a nice transition. A nice, a nice cut, <laughs> nice Charlie Watts, uh, you know, classic drum intro on jigsaw, and uh, that song kind of dives into a no use in crying. Another deep cut off of tattoo mm-hmm. you, which uh, falls into send it to me. You know, I love that reggae beat. We talked about that before with right, Charlie Watts right. and uh, yeah. that intro and Keith Richards' uh, Jamaican influence. And then it closes out, like I said, with Monkey Man. And, and you can't always get what you want as a, as a great closer. So sure. I didn't think anything of it, right? I sent it in. Time goes by. My girlfriend is visiting in town. And um, so I, I popped into the grocery store. I was out of the car. I come back. I'm, I'm getting into the car. And the Rolling Stones are playing on KZEP. I'm not thinking anything of it. And she looks at me. And she goes they're playing your perfect album side. They just said your name on the radio. Oh
0: my God. So it's like,
1: it's already halfway through it. You know, I I don't remember. It was a blur, but it was one of those songs. And it was so cool because Ted, when they select your perfect album side, you get to go to the vaunted prize closet at the, uh, you know, the prize palace. Actually, I meant to say it turned out to be a closet at the uh, KZAP studios. (laughs) It was such a letdown. (laughs) <laughs> when I went there, I had this yeah. vision of like this big vaulted room, you know, with high ceilings and all of these prizes, and I could choose uh, whatever I, I wanted. But uh, I ended up with a, uh, instead of getting a cassette tape or something, I ended up with a K Zap coffee mug, which I, I right. still have somewhere.
0: I want to see that K Zap coffee mug. Was that with the cat on yeah, it? The Cheshire Cat. Yes, the so Cheshire cool. Cat, it was right. so yeah. cool.
1: But yeah, they played my perfect album side. So I was thinking
0: about what made your perfect album side so good. And what you did is essentially what AOR was doing at the time, Mm -hmm. which is a mix of familiar and maybe not so familiar, but very strong songs. Mm -hmm. And so it took the listener on a journey of something that they recognized. They stuck with it because they're thinking, wow, I don't know this song. This is pretty good. And it ended on a high note with, I know this song. With the, so with the choir. Did, yeah, well, yeah, with the choir. But <laughs> I could see why they would pick this one because they're like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. It's not just throwing all this familiar stuff in. Mm-hmm. He's going a little deep here. So I like that. Nicely done. Thank you very Stay much. What for you makes for a good mixtape?
1: There are so many triggers, right? I mean, today you can manipulate a music file there's lots of Mm -hmm. things you can do i'm not willing to maybe take the extra steps to to like really 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 make it like one file that you can have and fade in and out and make it all perfect but you know i've been able to make pretty good cds now by manipulating the start and end times of songs so you can kind of replicate some of that stuff Um, The the crossfading. Yeah. And then on iTunes, if you're just listening on your computer, which is, you know, where we are now, a lot of times um, there is a crossfade feature. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that stuff does exist. But for me, it's um, long fade outs are a killer, right? You know, songs that just fade, it take forever (laughs) to fade up. You know, the, the cold out is always strong because that gives you flexibility because you can come in strong with the next song where one just goes right into the next, and so that's always nice to have. If it's a a great guitar riff intro, or bassline intro, or drum intro, whatever, uh, whatever you're feeling, you know, when you're making that transition um, on a set list, that's one thing for me that I really like to have. And also, I try to, you know, I try to limit dead space between Mm -hmm. songs. Sometimes when you were making old cassette tapes and you tried to tighten things up, you would get lucky and like it would bleed perfectly from one song (laughs) into the next song. Um, But I I like transitions. So, I mean, it's not necessarily what the song is about. It's not always necessarily about the, the tempo. It is that, that moment of connection from where one song and how it ends and how the next song begins. And that floated my boat when I was getting better and better and more into you know making these tapes, which the first ones were so primitive, going cassette to cassette, you'd have that click in between, right? right? So um, it, it got better and better for me, but going back and listening to these cassettes, I mean, I was really on the right track with a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. The inspiration was listening to the radio and like you said, the crossfade, and also the radio sounder can always be spotted in the perfect place to take you from one song to the next.
0: Yeah, it creates a bit of a bridge, right? So right, it breaks it up a little bit. Can you know make it less jarring in some yeah. way? So yeah.
1: So when I went through all of these cassettes, and I had, I ended up with thirty-four mix tapes that I that I did <laughs> on top of, and I, those are the ones that I uh, texted you, and then the other ones I said I taped off of the radio that I ended up keeping. You know, there's a lot of inspiration on here, but the best quality, these cassettes are old, man. I mean, these are, you know, from the late 80s and early 90s, most of them. The best ones are the ones I taped off of records. And so, you know, from friends records collections, as I as I had more friends and I'd go over to their place and we'd hang out, listen to records and like, oh, cool. You know, and I I could tape that way. But the other was working at my college radio station shout out KDVS in Davis, they had a record library to die for down in the basement of Lower Freeborn Hall. That is where I would go in armed with lists and I would actually make playlists and actually came up with a couple of my best cassette tapes and they're all uh, pulled from records. So the, the quality, the sound is, is much, much better and you don't have that click, you know, tape to tape.
0: Do you listen to playlists that others create? Kind of critique them?
1: you know, not so much so. i I've had other tapes from friends and stuff like that. and And, you know, a lot of it for other people, they weren't willing to go to the depth I was willing to go. I mean, I had some people that would give me mixtapes that were great. But a lot of times it was just one artist. like everything from that artist to maybe just like four or five songs off one album or another would take up mm-hmm. a whole side. Right. So it was like they just they would run tape and and do that. But I was much more type A about it. And the more I got into it, the more interested I got in transitions like we were talking about and trying to replicate or how can I replicate, you know, what I'm hearing. And I and I have an example because I remember this and I have this on one of these uh, cassettes right here. This is from uh, Radio Music Number 1. And uh, so. U2, Rattle and Hum was a new album at the time. I don't think I even had it on cassette or CD, actually. I was just getting into CDs then. So they were playing Desire. Desire ends with Bono just wailing on a harmonica. The harmonica winds to a close and he's kind of sustaining this harmonica note as the song ends. And here comes kicking the door down in transition to the next song is John Entwistle's bass intro to The Real Me. No wow! So it was just this killer, just <laughs> wicked. Like you're kind of That's listening, you're kind of like digging the harmonica. Like yeah, that dun, 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 you know, kind of that bow diddly beat of that song, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, the way that it ends, like that harmonica is just hovering right there. Here comes moon and ent whistle and Townsend. It's very aggressive, and yeah. uh, it was just such a, a beautiful transition, and it still gives me chills thinking about it. And that was kind of an inspiration examples like that. Like that is so cool how it just ended so clean. And that just came in so beautifully. That to me is really good. Like
0: somebody has a really good ear and understands flow and tempo and what's going to sound great after this song. Like you're coming down off the high from the song desire. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as you said, Bono takes it up a notch towards the end and gets on the harmonica and just like wailed on it. Mm -hmm. And then if you're thinking about what would go well next, mm-hmm. do I keep the gas pedal floored? Yes. So we're gonna go with the real me by the who. It's a great song. I love Quadrophenia. Yeah it, it leads off the yeah, it's not actually the very first track. There's kind of a, a bit of a overture and sound effects. And oh, don't like geek that. out but,
1: on the who. I know yeah. you can if you wanted <laughs> I can. to.
0: But the real me as a standalone song is a powerhouse. Um, Everybody is just firing on all fours. Mm Roger's great vocals, Pete's attacking guitars, the bass work that Entwistle does, and even the drum work that that Moon, Moon does. It's such a great powerhouse song. It's like a cooker. And so you want to keep that energy level going mm-hmm. for the listener. And so going into that, transitioning into that song, was a brilliant move. Yeah,
1: so this is, uh, again, it, the uh, jock's discretion. And I think back <laughs> then, the jock had a lot more discretion Where now the jock is confined to, no, you have to play this in Mm -hmm. this order. I think what started to draw me to radio too was like, I would love to have this ability to choose and this variety at my disposal. And I could play anything old or new and I can mix it up and this is what I want to do. And this sounds good to me. That set actually continued. So you know how the real me ends with Roger. Mm -hmm. The real me, 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 me. And then they dropped in a sounder, 98.5. KZAP, kind of deep voice guy right, sounder. Right. And right out of that is the intro to uh, Magic Man. Kind of that kind of interesting guitar intro and you know, kind of driving two-part guitar. So yeah, it's a little yeah. bit of a tempo shift. Slightly, yeah. But it's, it's a... tempered by the sounder where the sounder frees you up to be able to go whichever direction. And it works. It, right? it works. It works really. I have the tape. I listen to it yeah. on my old boombox. I've got a, an old Sony boombox that plays cassettes and CDs. It's my last uh, connection to uh, cassette listening because I, you know, the last time I had a cassette player in my car was as far back as twenty ten. That's why I still had cassettes because I, I could listen to them in the car. If something happened to them, it's like yeah, sure, whatever. You know, I can make another one.
0: Years ago, there was a book that came out called. Radio Waves by Jim Ladd. He was an AOR DJ back in Los Angeles. I think he was on KLOS. And he wrote about when that corporate takeover of radio started to occur. Essentially, DJs didn't have a lot of freedom mm-hmm. to pick the music anymore. A program director, a music director, or consultant usually would come in with a list and say, you play these songs and in, in this order. And he said that the listenership started to drop off. He said, usually when he was on, The phones were ringing a lot. This is prior to consultants coming in because people were engaged. They were excited about what was being played, having questions about what was that song? Who was that artist? Man, that was a great set. I had that thing cranked. All these things, you know, these signals from the public saying, I love what you're doing. Then the consultants come in and say, No, we've got this formula and (laughs) you play these songs and in this order and only these songs and only these artists. And so one night he was thinking about, I'm going to hang this up. I'm done with this. This is so boring. So he decided to go out on a blaze of glory and he essentially hijacked the playlist and started playing whatever the hell he wanted. Awesome. And he said that night, Where there was always just one light, maybe blinking that somebody was calling. The whole bank of lights on the telephone lit up as he was going through his set. People were just like, This is great. You guys are back. I'm loving it. I'm just going to, you know, it's all those sort of things that made the radio station really, really solid back in the day as an AOR powerhouse came back for a brief moment. But then. He got fired or he, of quit. course, I can't remember what it was. I
1: mean, so did he, he have the, yeah. he had, did he have the studio door like blocked and barricaded? Probably
0: it was night. So there was really nobody there. So it was an evening. It was probably like 10 o'clock. I mean, I, the, the, the I, he got the call. Yeah. He yeah. got the call the next day. Hey, we're going in a different direction.
1: Goodbye. I mean, the idea <laughs> of having that freedom is so cool. A couple more songs I had on, on that particular set. Cause I, I would just run cassette tapes, you know, blank tapes mm-hmm. off the radio and I would go, leave the house, whatever, go to the store or the gym and come back. And Hey, what did I get? If I didn't like it, I could just tape over it. So, um, magic man tumbles to a close, you know, like do, 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 right into the rainfall of riders in the storm. Oh, just tasty. Right. Yeah. Um, and that song ends very hypnotically with harmonics, you know, and kind of the Ray Manzarek is answering with the, the, the keyboard notes to the harmonics of Robbie Krieger's guitar. Yeah. It has a long outro and it just kind of fades, you know, again, it's kind of fluttering right there. Mm -hmm. And then boom, here comes something bold, the guitar intro to sweet Jane. And that's a long song, right? The live, I guess the live version is the only version, but there's that long, long guitar solo intro uh, before they even get to the song. And when you have a live song on the radio, you have that beautiful option of the crossfade, which, yeah. you know, if you're if you're trying to make a CD with live cuts, you have that unfortunate cold end, you know, from one track to the other. No, that's the end of the track. But in this case, perfect crossfade as Sweet Jane's applause is and a thunderous applause is uh, fading to a close up comes uh, Bob Dylan's precious angel. Then Precious Angel goes into a live version of Stray Cat Blues by the Stones off of Get Your Yayas Out. So that was wow. just a killer set that I just happened to <laughs> you know, capture on yeah, this cassette, yeah. and it was like, I mean, for me at that time, this was like gold. I was like, oh, my God, I have to play this for my friends. You know,
0: you would never hear that on the radio. So these days. It, it just won't. It's you know? so good. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And you still have this preserved and you can still play it back. And you I do. I'm looking quarter. at
1: it. I'm looking at it right here. I've got other examples. I mean, I've, there's crossfade examples, um, you know, right, which are just right. which are just brilliant. The KZAP did another thing. Called the uh, top 500 rock songs of all time, you know, and uh, I was, I was running several tapes on that one. So that was kind of a cool, interesting mix of tunes, but it's, um it's just so great to go back and listen to these things and what made these transitions interesting and and inspiring really.
0: I think that top 500 would be a little more difficult to do the the sort of powerhouse music mixing, if you will, Mm -hmm. or crossfading because Mm -hmm. you're bound by the countdown list.
1: I know. Here's a great example. Just Here's here's one example. I'm Your Captain by Grand Funk. And so that is kind of two songs. The first song is really rocking. It's kind of that D to G jam that they do and just a great rhythm. But it goes into that long, long ass fade out. Uh, You know, I'm getting closer to my home big long dramatic fade out to that song it's like i don't think i'm ever gonna get home by the time this song actually comes to an (laughs) end right (laughs) so so the song is just fading out you're kind of in a trance again by the end of the song and here comes the intro to the who's joined together which is kind of this dwang dwang dwang. yeah right, right you know it's kind of this trip it's just so who if you go back and listen to that song and just killer syncopated drum intro you know moon is there and and you know, Townsend comes in, and you got the keyboards in that. Um, it's a great song, but that's kind of an example where you know, okay, let's move this along. This, this song is still fading out, but we're going to pot up this other song and kind of shift the tempo and go this way.
0: You bring up a lot of what I was trying to recreate in my brother's bedroom, who had a mixer, couple turntables, cassette players, so he had a whole. He basically had a pirate radio station. He even he had a, like a 10 watt transmitter and used to broadcast to the neighborhood kids and things like that. But I would go in there and pull records and try to create my personal radio station, things that I wanted to listen to over and over, songs that I thought were strong that went well together. So I was doing a lot of that, what KZAP was doing. Now, I wasn't certainly at the level of those DJs because those songs that you mentioned, <clears throat> how one went into the other and how they broke it up with a liner or a, or a sounder that you know, KZAP. Yeah. Right. And it takes you in a different direction. Those are things that I was kind of learning on the fly as well by, you know, the two turntables and a microphone type thing. <laughs> exactly. but I I wasn't using the microphone. It was just all music. So I was doing a lot of that crossfading and that segueing, but, and we talked about this off mic, I found my own cassettes too, from back in the day. So you're saying, yeah. In, yeah, yeah, late 80s that I used to make, either at home, just stacking up the records or where my brother lived, where he, he was at my father's house, and he had his setup there. And I would go in and I would just mix together these these tapes that were crossfaded and it just sounded like a radio station. But the one that I found that I recreated on Apple music mm-hmm. was one that did not have the crossfades, but I wanted to go through some of the songs side a and side B, cool. of these <laughs> I was kind of an arty farty kid back in college. I was not. I was a film major for a while. I was I wanted to direct movies. So I I always was trying to do something that was sort of off the beaten path. Um I went to San Francisco State University, you know, very artsy kind of school. And so expressing yourself in ways that Came off the beaten path was something that was really encouraged, and so I kind of glommed onto that and thought, "Oh, that's just that's all me. I want to be like that." I'm a, I'm a kid grew up in the suburbs, so I I just wanted to do something different. And and living in San Francisco at the time gave me that sense of, "Hey, whatever you want to do, it's fine as long as you don't hurt anybody." Right? <laughs> I mean, just be yourself, experiment, do whatever you want. So the kind of music I was listening to at the time, some of them were very popular. Uh, But some of them, uh, some of the tracks that I chose were deeper. You labeled your, your tapes, radio music number one, Mm -hmm. or you had, like you said, you're very type A. So you have it very, very well ordered. Oh, you should see. Yeah, yeah, mine was very haphazard. I would come up with these (laughs) stupid little titles just because I thought that they were funny. Oh, share one. Yes. Side A is called Knee Deep in Mediocrity. (laughs) I don't know what that means. I just thought it was funny at the time. (laughs) Oh, man. But I didn't think what I chose was mediocre. So I start with the first track is by Brian Eno and John Cale, And uh, they did an album in 90. And the first song on there was this weird song called Lay My Love. And it's just this weird kind of... Uh, I I can't explain it other than to say lyrically it's less about a love song and it's almost like a instech or a parasite laying his love around the person or something. Ew. But yeah, it's kind of kind of weird. But I liked it. But you're weird. So in this. yeah, I am kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Second song goes into Michelle Shocked and Michelle Shocked had, um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about her in a bit. It was called On the Greener Side and it was the uh, first single of the follow up to her her at that time the most successful album which was her second one called short sharp shocked and she had a song that did, did pretty well it was on MTV a lot it got some radio airplay called when i grow up there was this compilation album that came out celebrating cole porter's music iggy pop and debbie harry did did a duet of did you ever so i put that on next and then faith no more a san francisco bay area band that's very much like the red hot chili peppers they were huge that year. And they had a song called Epic. You might not know it from the title, but if you heard it, you would know you were like, Oh, I know this song. Cause it's very sort of rap rock. The chorus is you want it all, but you can't have it. It's in your face, but you can't grab it. What Mm -hmm. is it? It's it. What is it? It's it. (laughs) It's a really great song. Um, I was surprised that they weren't bigger than Red Hot Chili Peppers, but they kind of flamed out. Then I go into Love and Rockets, Bound for Hell, which is a very bluesy, aggressive bluesy kind of song. It seemed to fit coming out of Epic, which ends on a piano very quietly. But then it comes on with this... And I thought, that sounds pretty good. So um, I... Kind of hot and cold on Public Image Limited, Johnny Lydon, Johnny Rotten, that stuff. I mean, I could take it or leave it, but I did like the song that he came out with at that time called Happy. So I put that one in. Big fan of Prince, always. Always. And Graffiti Bridge, the follow-up to Purple Rain, which was a lousy film. Not Mm. Purple Rain, Graffiti Bridge. I like the soundtrack a lot. And there's a song on there called Tick, Tick, Bang. Very, very Prince, very sexual. Put that one on next. And then- I go into The Cure, and this is where I start to change the tempo. The Cure put out an album in 1989 called Disintegration, which I think is their best. The last track on that album is very Cure. It's very atmospheric. it kind of lilting. It takes you on a journey. It has no title. It's just called Untitled. Mm -hmm. And I put that one on. And then I kind of went for something that was, I don't know, playful. David Bowie's Underground, which was on that film – Uh, Labyrinth. Do you remember that film? Was like a kids' film. No. He played. He played the big baddie in in the film. He acted in it, and he contributed two songs to it. And one of them was Underground. So I put that one on. And then this is where I think I made my mistake. Maybe this is the (laughs) mediocre part because I brought in another Iggy Pop song, and Uh it was Brick by Brick by Iggy Pop. So that's side one. It was ten songs. And that's side one, knee deep in mediocrity. And I, I have a side B, but I just wanted to yeah. talk about that
1: particular how completely particular- different we approach yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. Because it's you know, and it's really a good cross section because you were pulling things that were new to you at the time. Yes. And so it was right. kind of and you're always still, you still have that interest in new artists, new music. You're always curious. I do. I do. And so back then I it was young Ted, hyper more hyper Ted. <laughs> Uh, and more hypersensitive to like you know yeah. having these new tunes in a playlist or whatever the case may be so yeah for me yeah. i was trying to like you know recreate aor format kind of like okay these cassettes are going to kind of be my my commodity like i'm going to have all of these songs that i love that i just i like the way they sound together and we just had kind of a different approach to it but i mean uh, still definitely. i mean it's just it's just such a great snapshot in in time and what you were listening to then.
0: When I listened back to the cassette, I was like, I haven't heard this song in such a long time. It had that kind of that moment. And I'm sure you had that too with some of the songs that you're listening to back on the, say the KZAP mix. Mm -hmm. Like like I mentioned earlier, no one plays some of many of these songs anymore Mm -hmm. on the radio. I know. And to seek them out or to hear them displayed or elevated to such a level, like on a radio station where it's got a mass audience, that's a big deal.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I forgot about the Smithereens. Oh, yeah, they were great. They were in heavy rotation yeah. because they had that yeah. song, A Girl Like You. Yeah, they had I did that, like that killer song. guitar intro. But yeah, there were songs that, like, oh my God, I I forgot about this song. Like Big Brother and the Holding Company, combination of the two, mm-hmm. uh, which was a great song. And Jeff Beck Group uh, Situation, just these songs that I had just like. Wow, I haven't heard this in so long. Yeah. You were it's you were asking Yeah, I know. And you were asking about what makes a good transition or what makes a a good mix, you know. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I always appreciated too as I was going through my my notes here and listening to you is sound effects. Not weird sound effects, but you know, subtle sound effects like Riders Mm -hmm. on the storm is, you know, that, that rainfall is a a great example, but I was listening to further on this one um, cassette and they were playing pink Floyd's time. Right. And so it has the, the um, really interesting lyric at the end, far away across the field, the tolling of the the iron bell calls the faithful to their knees to hear the softly spoken magic spells. And as you were hearing the softly spoken. Here comes the chimes of Blackwater underneath, and nice. so yeah, softly spoken Doobie magic Brothers. spells, and here comes this mysterious intro, and then the beautiful uh, acoustic guitar accompaniment. So it was just like, wow! Pink I mean, Floyd
0: into yeah, Pink Floyd into the Doobie Brothers doesn't seem like on paper. I know,
1: like something that's going to
0: transition well, I but know. it does. I know.
1: It did. So so I have a final cassette as Mm -hmm. well, Um, and this is side A of mine, and this was uh, made in 1990.
0: So this This is not, this is not tape from the radio. This is you putting together your own playlist.
1: This is actually me taking lists of songs because I like lists. And I took this into the KDVS record studio and I Mm -hmm. made myself a cassette tape. The crackle is awesome in between a lot of these songs, but in just a couple of years from when I kind of started this, there's more direction There's more purpose in making the set list and uh, there's more thought given to the flow between songs. You know, before it was just like, whatever, I like all of these songs. So it starts out with um, Eric Clapton's Blues Power, which, uh, you know, starts out very quietly and then builds up into something really big. So that has a long fade out, unfortunately, but it goes right into the baseline intro of I'm a Man by Chicago which is a long version. That's like an eight minute song um, off the Chicago transit authority. Is it Terry Kath or Terry Keith, who was the guitar player for that early Chicago? Um, And if you listen to the end of that song, there's a long drum solo in it, but the end of it is just this face melting guitar solo Hmm. um, that he brings the song to a hard close and is he
0: the same guitarist that did like 25 yeah or 62 it has before? to yeah. be okay, that guy the, oh,
1: yeah. oh he just i had to look him up because i'm like that's got to be the same guys on you know, chicago transit authority um but the, the guitar solo goes into a, a cold close which is my kind of close for a transition right into uh, the count five psychotic reaction oh, uh yeah. guitar intro that song kind of fades out and right into uh, what is again a bold intro, and this is uh, Elton John's piano intro in "Take Me to the Pilot," and uh, that song ends. It's a lot of fun, you know, na 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 na, and that kind of you know fades out into the um, doo wop shuffle of "Let It Roll" to me by uh, Paul McCartney and Wings with that awesome guitar lick, and as that starts to fade out. Here comes the kick drum intro of "Life's Been Good" by Joe Walsh. <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. and uh, so that fades out with guitar parts, and right into and here's one that I was like, "Wow!" Forgot this one. Right into kind of a distortion guitar intro of "Them Changes" by Buddy Miles. I don't know. Oh my god! It's the intro sounds like it's going to be "Magic Carpet Ride," which I thought it mm-hmm. was going to be and then it goes into this doo 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 and a horn section i mean it's fantastic it's more it's got more of a soul flair to it it's 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 not buddy guy it's buddy miles right um right, and then right. that goes into a uh, Clapton's before you accuse me um okay so you
0: brought you brought another Clapton song
1: in i know i did i i brought yeah, yeah. in a second one but it was uh, this one a little bit different uh, mm-hmm. when i remade this on a onto a cd I uh, used the unplugged version, which is really nice. It winds out with um, Fridays on My Mind by the Easy Beats and Don't Bring Me Down closes the side A of this cassette with the animals. That sounds
0: really good. I mean, you were talking about how my... My picks were really off the beaten path, but you go deep into familiar artists and mm-hmm. pull out tracks that are well. As I, you know, as I said, they're not very familiar, but they're solid. So mm-hmm. I, I, that, I was happy that, with
1: it. Yeah, because it was like, yeah, I love this the way this sounds together. Um, and when I remade it on the computer, I used the crossfade, you know, to try to kind of create more of what I'm trying to achieve. And uh, so that's my side A of of my final cassette. Yeah. I like the way that one came out and side B is, you know, a lot more of the same kind of stuff. Right.
0: So I wanted to talk a little bit about Michelle shocked for a moment because she, she is included on my playlist and I was a fan of hers for the first, uh, well, three albums, four albums really uh, when she made her debut in the eighties. I found her to be a very interesting person just as far as her outside persona in that she was sort of this left-leaning libertarian gal from Texas who had this punkish hillbilly vibe and her songs were very kind of rootsy, but also very sometimes punky, kind of aggressively, but sometimes it was all just sort of campfire songs. And then she... Had better production. She got you know signed to a record label and they were able to put some money behind her and her songs became fuller and more commercial, I would say. So I bought every record up until her Arkansas Traveler, which I think came out in the mid 90s or maybe the early 90s, like 91, 92, somewhere around there. After that, I I didn't buy records. I kind of moved on to other things. I think I was probably more into grunge at that point. Pearl Jam was really my jam at the time. Um, But then in March 2013, you and I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Michelle Schacht, whose audience fan base includes a lot of gay and lesbian folks, comes to San Francisco and plays a gig at Yoshi's. Now, around this time, there were two laws on the books banning same-sex marriage, the Defense of Marriage Act, and in California, Prop 8. Shock had, at the start of her second set, she had decided that she would express how she really feels about Prop 8 and the Defense of Marriage Act. Uh-oh. And it cleared the freaking club. I mean, talk about tone deaf. Mm -hmm. She goes into, she comes to San Francisco. Read the room. (laughs) Exactly. She comes to San Francisco, a huge (laughs) chunk of her audience are gay and lesbian folks. And the first thing she says, started the second set. She says, these are sincerely two things I'm most passionate about y'all. I love me some Jesus and I love liberation. And I did not know how I was going to come to San Francisco and authentically represent both. Mm. And then she goes on to discuss her belief in God. She says, it's not too late. You can jump into this Jesus gang time, anyone you want, anytime you want. But I was at a prayer meeting yesterday and you got to appreciate how scared, how scared folks are on that side of the equation. I mean, from their vantage point, and I shouldn't really be saying there because it's mine too. We are nearly at the end of time from our vantage point. We're going to be like, uh, I think maybe Chinese water torture is going to be the means, the method once prop eight gets instated. And once preachers are held at gunpoint and forced to marry the homosexuals, I'm pretty sure that will be the signal for Jesus to come back. You said you wanted reality. If someone would be so gracious as to please tweet out that Michelle shock just said from the stage, I'm going to say something that's, I think is a really horrible word and I don't mean it to, Mm -hmm. to offend anybody, but this is what she said. God hates faggots. Would you do it now? I ain't scared. I ain't scared. This is not a tribunal. This is one woman's opinion. And it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And I, I'm so committed to loving each and every soul in this room that I that I could not come here and ignore you. I could not come here and pretend that I was above the conversation and I could not pretend that I was beneath it either. I had to join it. Thank you for that one hand clap. And people were just like, "I, my God, I felt like I was in a hostage situation. Middle
1: finger. Yeah.
0: Really? They just cleared out the room. In fact, Yoshi's Basically turned on the lights and said, "We're done. Uh, you're not invited back here anymore." Her entire tour, all these venues are just basically saying, "No, thanks. We're not gonna, we're not gonna honor our our uh, contract with you, and you know you can go somewhere else and perform, but uh, you're not coming to our club." It's kind of like what and happened sir- to
1: Kramer. Yeah. You know, when he, he got blackballed after um, he he said some really controversial things, did. which were supposed right, yeah. to be Michael funny, Richard, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah Right. Yeah.
0: He was using the N-word a lot. But this is different because she had made a religious mm-hmm. change and she's kind of this messed up person. She came from a, a Mormon background and she really tried to rebel and she was always trying to find her thing. She was even sort of openly bisexual at one point and that's how she became an icon for gay and lesbian folks at, at some level. And so she- was really going into a room and basically saying, I love you, but I hate you at the same time. Now, what kind of career suicide is? Yeah. I mean, that that is like the masterclass on how to ruin your career in one performance.
1: Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, how yeah. many artists have found success mm-hmm. and then they found drugs and alcohol and then they hit rock bottom and then how do they bounce back? How many of them embrace christianity or some other form of religion as a salvation and a way to kind of turn things around after you had just about run the train off the tracks completely Mm -hmm. and try to come back i think that's happened for some artists like that's that's their way but then there's a fine line between finding your own salvation and what you believe and then trying to uh, preach it to others who really don't care
0: yeah and i think it's preaching it in in saying you're coming at at a from an angle of love, but it's not really, it, it's kind of an angle of hate mm-hmm. and, and division. The fact that, yeah. And and to do that to your audience, to say you actively essentially hate a good contingent of the people that are in the room mm-hmm. and tell people go out there and, tw- and, and tweet it. I don't care. I think this is fun.
1: Yeah. I um, mean, well, wow. look at, look at my set list. I've got Clapton yeah. in there twice. Yeah. Look, what's, look, at twice, look at what has happened to him. And if, if anybody isn't familiar with kind of how things have shifted for him, or at least, more that we know about what he really thinks. Rolling Stone had a had an article that just kind of nailed it. Easily find that online, I'm sure. Yeah. Or it's when
0: John Lennon said that they, the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. Well,
1: that was a problem. Yeah, right. Um, so- and that was also back in the 60s and they were at the height of their power. Mm-hmm. He was just using it as an example. He would later say, comparing it to like whatever else is popular. If it's the radio or cinema, he said, I believe. But it was, he chose... A <laughs> very poor example. Exactly. Um, yeah. So
0: but with Clapton, Clapton willfully was taking the stage in and really touting an anti-immigrant <laughs> view of that England should not be having people who basically have dark skin come into this country. Yeah. Michelle Schott goes into a room and basically says, I don't like gay people, my beliefs. Say that it's a sin. And then she goes on with this long rant about why you should just tweet out these horrible things and say, I said that. Well, she tried to walk that
1: back a
0: couple of times. You
1: cannot shove that toothpaste back in the tube no
0: especially yeah. in the era of twitter when somebody was recording it and they said no yep. here's what you're trying to walk back this is what you said Yeesh. and so i know that a lot of talk about cancel culture but cancel culture it's almost like why do i have to pay or give space to somebody who's actively hating me or wanting to cause harm to me i don't mean to get this make this a political podcast or anything like mm-hmm. that because of our love or music but it's it's just an example of how an artist can really affect the tone and really affect people's attitudes in a, sometimes in a positive way, which is probably 99% of what we've talked about on this podcast. And then you get that, maybe that 1% where it happens in a very negative way. Yes. And, to, and it's just to take Michelle Shocked as, as another example, her music is not available to stream on any of the major platforms. And I don't know if that she's taken that off. Maybe she's got control over her master tapes or whatever. So I still have her CDs. So I had physically import the CD into my iTunes to recreate the playlist as a digital version. Well, I mean,
1: it just goes to show that even if you have built up decades of goodwill, you Mm -hmm. know, it's easy to just burn it to the ground. And and also, too, I mean, it goes with movie stars. It goes with professional athletes. We don't know these people. We appreciate and admire them for their songwriting, their guitar playing. They can throw a touchdown. They can dunk a basketball. They're fabulous on the big screen. But uh, you don't necessarily know that that person may be just a complete a-hole. And thinks everything completely (laughs) different than you do. And it's like, if you did really know, and sometimes these things slip out, right? And especially today with social media, it comes out sometimes. And then it's kind of like a PR nightmare for this image that one may be trying to portray uh, to the public.
0: Right. So as we wrap up, what I wanted to do is to tell listeners that for my mixtape that I was I shared side A with, <laughs> yeah. it is available if you are an Apple Music subscriber. I've made that playlist public and you just search for me. It's like Twitter, it's the at symbol, and it's at Asregadu. A-S-R-E-G-A-D-O-O. Michael, I was thinking maybe I could put together a Spotify or an Apple version of your playlist yeah, side yeah. A and side B. And make that available to Planet LP listeners as well. So I will do that. Not too difficult to do in this day and age, but Michael, I want to thank you for coming back on the Planet LP podcast. Oh, Ted. On a future episode.
1: Yeah, it is. It is so great to be back as a a co-pilot today. And um, I always love talking about music with you. We've really connected on this over the years and uh, I hope we can do this again and find some other cool topics to talk about.
0: I think we will. I think we will. And thanks everyone for lending your ears. That's a wrap for this edition of the podcast. I'll be back soon to drop the needle on a world of albums. So long for now.